Okay, Happy New Year. Welcome to G5 Football Daily, your audio accompaniment to our coverage of a group of five college football on Sports Illustrated Media Group's Fan Nation Network. Joe Londrigan here with you as always. Excited to dive into the group of five bowl season. Some of the more notable moments on both ends of the spectrum that we saw uh, from the G5 season. And uh, to help me do that, some of you heard quite a bit, someone that you will never get tired of because he's that good at what he does. Uh, Mr. Eric Henry, uh, notably of 247 Sports and Horns 247, who's uh, doing this right after his trip to uh, cover the Longhorns in New Orleans. Buddy, how are you doing today? Joe, I am doing all right, man. I am bringing the energy, bringing the juice for you. Of course, uh, you are, you know, like uh, a work husband. You, know? you never want to let your partner down. So you got to be able to, you know, really gas it up, bring the juice when it is needed. So despite the fact that, yes, made the trek over from New Orleans was a heck of a drive, but that was a heck of a ball game. You know, it's it's a weird way for the season to come to an end. You know, it's almost kind of like hits you at once that the season is in fact over, but I'm sure in short order, there will be, you know, more recruiting news and draft news and transfer portal news and all things that will affect not only the Texas football program, but of course, the group of fives as well. So fired up, uh, looking forward to chopping into things. I know the last time we, we talked was pre Gasparilla Bowl, Joe, as I was heading to that ball game. I want to share a funny story. Is this Joe about Gasparilla or your time in New Orleans? Uh, this one's actually going to be about the, the bowl game. I, I will okay. save some of my uh, time for New Orleans for you know uh, another episode, because trust me. Uh, listen, Joe, I will say this. Five days in New Orleans is a lot like five days in Vegas. <laughs> After like day three, you're like, and especially when there's an event going on, it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're just crying, ready to go home. Like, I just want to get back to my bed. So that's what, what that was. But uh, we'll share that another time. No, this was, was back in the great city of Tampa, Florida. Joe. Um, have we ever talked in the what now five years, six years from doing this together about the importance of locking the porta potty behind you? I can honestly say that's not a topic of conversation that's come up, in at least in a professional capacity, from what I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everyone else in between, when you use the potty, the the porta potty, or the potty, but in this case, the porta potty, it is crucial. That you, you know, despite your 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 urgency to use the bathroom, because the only people who are using porta potties, right? They, they're 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 in a bad spot, right? Like no one's just willingly like, hey, if I can make it inside the stadium, now nah, I'll, I'll I'll hit the the dirty blue, you know, box outside. And uh, of course, you know, I've parked and you know, going to the game with small college friends, and you know, we indulged a little bit, you know, before. Of course, we were safe, you know, we Ubered over, so we were. You know, parking our little spot and, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to head inside and just hit you. You know, it's like time to go. So, why well, I wasn't going to make it inside, find my way over to the porta potties and Joe, stumbled my way in. And I was about, you know, midstream. And all of a sudden, it just was suddenly chilly behind me. Like, oh, I didn't lock the door. And randomly enough, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Patrick Nurse, a noted UCF fan. One of the longtime UCF fans. Uh, it was a guy actually knew. So that's what made it, you know, even all the more hilarious. But yep, the door just swung wide open. But the issue was, you know, he was so shocked that he, yeah, someone was in there. He just kind of backed off and he didn't bother to like shut it back. So it's just swinging open as there's a crowd of people there, you know, mm -hmm. just behind the old porta potty. So, you know, you can't stop midstream to go shut the door. So he's got to 
I've got to bring it to completion and then just walk out. So the crowd friends, just goes silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Friends, when you enter the porta potty, lock the door behind you. <laughs> you just hear the legends are true. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. It, it, it was, it was it, one of those things you'll never forget, but you like that. <laughs> I, I feel like that's not the, that's not the story I was expecting, but I, I appreciate it. And I, I'm sure I'll get some more graphic Gasparilla stories off air at some point. Um, but Eric, we got to talk some football as we always do. Let's start with uh, the bowl game stuff. Uh, overall, what was kind of your, just your impression of the G5 bowl season? Did you find it entertaining? Uh, did you find it disappointing just from 10,000 feet? Joe, I mean, as long as we've been doing, you know, group of five podcasts together, I've long been a proponent of just the matchups because group of five bowl season to me is a lot like interleague baseball in a sense. Now, granted, you see much more of interleague baseball, you know, when I was a kid, kid, you know, it was rare, right? You know, but it, it's like those special times you get, you know, this Mac team versus, you know, Sunbelt. And, and, and you kind of get, in my mind, a real sense of where those teams kind of stack up, right? So I've always been a fan of Group of Five Bowl season because, you know, you get these, listen, call me a homer, call me traditional, but I think there's something really um, – Honorable is not the right word I'm looking for, but just traditional about the fact that these kids get to end some of their careers in, in postseason play. You know, I, I heard, uh, and I don't want to throw Kirk Herbstreit under the bus. You know, I have a lot of respect for Kirk Herbstreit and what he's meant to the game of college football, but I believe it was him who was quoted recently as saying that we may be trending towards a time in which, you know, you, you get rid of the, the the whole, you know, season and it's just, you know, folks on the playoff. And it, that to me just really, really undermines the value. And I would think a guy like Herbstreit, who played in an era in which, you know, Joe, he played in, in the era before six wins was an automatic bull berth. You know, there, there was a time for, you know, I think most listeners know this. You can go back and look at the time up until the early 2000s in which six wins was automatic. You had seven, eight win teams who didn't go bowling, right? Part of that was because there weren't as many bowls. But yeah, there's something special and unique about seniors guys i mean joe i just i i won't get too deep into the texas beat but what was most notable to me about that loss was the guys post game who were seniors and realizing that it's done you know now obviously a lot of those guys that we talk to post game will have nfl careers or something will at least get in nfl camps right not necessarily the case for the group of five guys but that even is more so underscores the point that um I, again, I, here comes the overlap of my Texas beat, but Steve Sarkeesian said this to a senior, Joe, um, a senior who would, was pondering quitting football early in his career. And that player mentioned to us, he said, what Sark told him was, you know, it's not like basketball. If, if you play basketball in college, you can always go hoop at the park. You know, once you take off football pads, you can't just go throw on football pads and <laughs> go find the nearest park, and go play football, right? So especially for a lot of these G5 guys, and this is the last time they'll put on a uniform, it's special, man. And that's always going to be the takeaway from bowl season for me. So I know that's not necessarily specific to this bowl season, but I think it applies regardless, uh, um, no matter the season. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add to that is I hear a lot of people talk about how, like, how can you get – players to like care about bowl games and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, I to add on to what you said about seniors realizing the finality of some of these games being their last time putting on pads in a competitive context. 
based on what we saw in this bowl season in particular, so many of these games were uh, extremely chippy <laughs> that it, it yeah. just shows that it means a lot to, to get to play in these games, regardless of payouts, NIL, whatever you want to, you know, add to it. Guys just like to go out there and hit <laughs> like it. That's it's a, you have a very short window of your life to be able to play this game at a high level. And it was nice this bowl season to see that. It seems like the majority of guys that did take the field appreciated that. So it was cool. So let's bring it to this, Eric. Just let's just throw out a couple of impressive wins uh, for me anyway. My big one that I think um, kind of was one that's going to stick with me for a lot of this offseason was Memphis's win in the Liberty Bowl over Iowa State, thirty-six to twenty-six. Uh, Ryan Silverfield, um, huge win for him and his program, getting to ten wins. It's become somewhat of a regular appearance for Memphis to make the postseason, but it's not as often we see them hit double-digit wins. Uh, they're able to do that. Um, just complete team performance, too. Uh, Seth Hennigan, 364 yards, uh, five touchdowns. He was responsible for four through the air, uh, one on the ground. Blake Watson had a big day. The defense held Iowa State to a net of zero rushing yards, Eric. That's a huge day for them. So that's one that really sticks out to me. Yeah, Joe, really quick. I mean, I had a chance to see that Iowa State team live. You know, obviously Texas went to Iowa State. Rocco Becht, arguably the nation's top freshman quarterback statistically. You take a look at the numbers and he's right there. So that's a really, really good win for Memphis. Again, of course, at home, you know, de facto home game in the Liberty Bowl. But uh, definitely want to agree with you there. I think the game that really caught my mind, it caught my uh, my eye, excuse me, as far as a impressive win. I'm going to give you two. Quickly touch on both. We'll start with Georgia State 45, Utah State 22, Darren Granger 19 of 22 for 257, three touchdowns. Just that team, in my mind, Joe, and we talked about them a lot this year, you know, they got to a great start and really looked like they were going to be players in the Sun Belt. Of course, they kind of, you know, kind of faltered towards the, the down the stretch, but for them to get a resounding bowl win, something that they can build on. The other one, Definitely want to bounce this one off you, Air Force, because we all know what that team was for a majority of the year. They stumbled down the stretch as well. So for them to come back and beat one of the top teams in the Sun Belt, we've talked about how good James Madison has been over the past two years. Uh, getting that win in my mind in, a, in a, again, another resounding fashion. Of course, you can take a look at that game and say, you know, the fact that James Madison just probably didn't play their best ball, but. Listen, I mean, Jordan McLeod still played in that ball game, Joe, and, and that's a guy who's one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. Of course, we'll see what his future holds, but that to me, you'd be a guy like that, especially considering the season you had, very impressive. I would absolutely agree. I also had Air Force in uh, my notes as far as impressive wins there. I, I think I'll give you one more there. How about what we saw from uh, Wyoming, just getting it done in the uh, last game of Craig Bowles' tenure uh, yeah. with the Cowboys, 16 to 15 on the uh, walk-off field goal from uh, John Hoyland. Uh, it was just a cool moment uh, to see that. And e even with the amount of pieces that Toledo was missing, um, getting to see Wyoming just kind of bounce back from one of those years where they had a hot start and then just kind of fizzled in that last like quarter of the season there, 
or really, I guess, kind of the last like half, they were just a really up and down team. But to see them kind of bounce back and see like Andrew Peasley play really well and uh, Wyatt Wheeland play really well had to be a cool moment for the uh, Wyoming fans that that made the trip down to Tucson to see that game. And uh, with that, let's talk about some individual performances. You know, I you talked about Darren Granger a little bit. He was one of mine um, as far as just huge days for him in the Idaho Potato Bowl against Utah State. Uh, I believe he threw four touchdowns. Uh, was just uh, just showed his athleticism and kind of what he is really able to do when he's on. He wasn't on every week this season, but he was certainly on in this game. So, uh, regardless of what his future in this game holds, uh, just one of the better days I've ever seen from him. Um, regardless against a Utah State team that was also a little bit up and down, but still. Massive day for him with uh, 257 yards and three touchdowns uh, through the air. And then I believe two rushing touchdowns in the ground. Yes. So got to love what you see from uh, the senior quarterback there. Joe, the one I'm going to, I'm going back to that Air Force game. I, I don't know if you had a chance to catch the post game, but Emmanuel Michelle, um, you know, had an excellent ball game. Anytime you get 35 carries, 203 yards, two scores against a James Madison run defense that had been uh, one of the tops in, in the nation, you know, really in the top third in the nation as far as uh, the performance there. That to me, Joe, just very, very impressive. And then I mentioned his post game. He was very, you know, emotional talking about the fact that, you know, facing a James Madison team that had been really good throughout the year and, and Air Force is kind of highs and lows. They, they really want to close this thing out. And you talk about a senior, so his final game there um, playing for Air Force. So that to me, Joe, again, 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 so I'm trying to find the James Madison a number there as far as where they were um, on the ground. But I, I know in the postgame, they talk about them being amongst the, the top third in the nation run defense, but just a, a really, really impressive performance, uh, not only just, you know, from uh, Air Force as a whole, but from Michelle. Yeah, Michelle was a beast. I'll give you another beast, Eric. In the famous Toastery Bowl, formerly the Bahamas Bowl, and will likely be the Bahamas Bowl <laughs> again, hopefully, Caden Veltkamp. For Western Kentucky. Yeah. A real big redshirt freshman quarterback, son of the strength coach, fun fact, and a South Warren product, which is about 15 minutes from Western's campus. Uh, It was just, it was a game of destiny for him. 40 completions on 52 attempts, 383 yards through the air, five touchdowns, and also at 53 uh, rushing yards. You know, just to see him not only execute at that level, but to do it in a fashion where he led Western back from like, I think it was the fourth biggest deficit in bowl game history in FBS. Just a monumental day for him. Um, and to do it where you had to kind of come in as the backup and, and fill in for uh, Turner Helton, who really, you know, just, just looks spooked, I guess. Um, had a couple turnovers there. Uh, to start the game through the interception, lost a fumble, and then, you know, Veltkamp just came in, cool as ice, and really used that, like, 6-6 frame to his advantage. So he was in the portal a couple days after the bowl win. He comes out of the portal and uh, says he's going to come back to Western for another year. So uh, this postseason has been uh, very kind to the uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers thus far, even though they they have lost uh, some some big pieces on the offensive line, which I'm sure we'll talk about another day play. That's uh, that's my second big individual performance. Joe, just real quick, touching on that decision by Caden Belkamp to come back. Yeah. I, I can't underscore it enough, man. It's 
as someone who's, you know, in the day-to-day grind of covering college football, this quarterback like transfer portal is going to be, it is going to take probably a couple years to even out. So a oh, guy yeah. like Caden like Belkamp, unless you've got a no contact tag and you've got your home, Again, I mean, you got like I look at Jaden Maeva, right? Who just went in today, and I really hope he's got you know, if not a no contact tag, he's got a destination destination lined up because it's just so backlogged. So um, anyhow, that's just me saying I think he made the right decision, especially with a team like Western that has such a track record of pedigree over the past few years of putting out good quarterbacks. So smart decision by him. I completely agree. I, we could talk about that for an hour, and I'm sure we will at some point this offseason. Um, but one more quarterback performance and, and one more just individual performance uh, in general that I thought was really impressive this bowl season. Ethan Basco for Coastal Carolina in the Hawaii Bowl um, threw three touchdowns there. Really needed someone to step up with uh, Grayson McCall going to NC State as well as uh, Jarek Guest coming out of the portal, uh, or rather going into the portal. Hasn't uh, announced the destination yet. Uh, to my knowledge, but, you know, to come out and, and play as well as he did, never trailed in this game, uh, in my opinion, made a strong argument for himself to be Coastal Carolina's QB1 heading into 2024. They did get uh, Noah Kim, who's the uh, Michigan State transfer, sometime this offseason as well, but he just doesn't have a ton of experience. Um, to get this bit on tape, for Vasco, I, that's that's huge. Um, and Vasco himself is a, a transfer from Kansas. So to be able to wait his turn and then come out and execute um, in, in this kind of game when they, again, didn't have a roster at full strength like a lot of different teams did this offseason, uh, it, it's got to be impressive. And uh, hopefully uh, Tim Beck and the rest of that coaching staff took notice. All right, on the other side, any teams come out and just – give you a really disappointing performance, Eric? I'm going to go with Chris Creighton's uh, Eastern Michigan club. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that went on off the field, but not even that. I mean, if you take a look at his tenure, again, a guy who, you know, took over a program, it wasn't much of anything in the Mac and they really kind of slowly built thing up and they've been a consistent bowl team, Joe, over the past however many years. I think, again, just to lose that way in that fashion, to me, that was a rather disappointing performance. And I get it. I understand that, you know, that game, uh, the 68 Ventures Bowl, you know, a, a, a tough um, a tough ask. Right. But with that being said, just really laying an egg. I mean, to get blown out in, in that fashion to me was was rather uh, disappointing. I, I I think, you know. If I were to give another one, I took a look at Rice against Texas State. Um, I only say that because that's an, an in-state deal, right, where Rice is trying to establish itself. Mike Bloomgren finally gets that team to a bowl game and then to kind of just really fall flat in Texas. That game, you know, of course, being a Texas bowl game as well. Um, Texas State, and listen, again, being here in the state, a lot of conversation, maybe because I'm based in Central Texas, maybe that played a factor, but there was a lot of conversation about how G.J. Kinney uh, getting that thing going, you know, and just really resounding win and, and kind of, uh, Joe, it's just funny how this thing has worked out. If we had this conversation maybe two years ago, we'd say in terms of the G5s, it's UTSA and then North Texas right there, right? You know, as far as the group of fives right now, of course, UTSA is still, uh, you can say king of the hill, but Texas State, 
coming from out of nowhere to really uh, assert a lot of the group of five teams. Of course, you can't forget SMU as well, but I, I would put Texas State, just as far as topic of hot conversation, right up there with you know UTSA. It's just funny how that works. So um, yeah, definitely a little bit disappointing um, uh, outing there for Rice. You mentioned JMU in the Air Force game, or rather you praised Air Force's performance. I, I think it for me, it was more of a, they had a great game, Air Force did, no question about it, but I was definitely expecting more from James Madison's run defense, uh, especially especially when you factor in, they were missing some pieces, sure, like not having Jalen Green hurt, but you still had guys like James Carpenter in there, uh, who's now at Indiana. But for them to not really, in my opinion, just like look ready to go against an Air Force offense where, if nothing else, you absolutely know what you're going to get, that was weird to me. I mean, JMU in particular, they were missing some, but I think they were at, uh, they had a stronger roster than a lot of people in terms of like just players not opting out of the bowl game or, you know, waiting until after the bowl game to, to transfer or whatever. So to see them really just like not look super competitive for most of that game was surprising to me. Um, my other one was Louisiana in the New Orleans Bowl. Jacksonville State getting their first ever bowl win and their first ever bowl appearance, which great for Rich Rod and, and that team. But you look at what Louisiana was able to do in this game, or rather what they weren't able to do, uh, scored three defensive touchdowns, uh, two interception returns, or rather one interception return and a fumble recovery for Jalen Clark that went to the house. And then uh, another interception return for uh, Tyree Skipper that scored. Just with that kind of defensive performance, if this offense had managed to get any kind of momentum at any point in this game, they probably would have won, but it's not to be. And then, of course, you allow 290 rushing yards on the ground. Ron Wiggins had a big game for Jacksonville State. Zion Webb looked great as well. Um, I'm curious to see how they replace him heading into 2024, but... You know, at a time when I, I think people are starting to get a little uh, annoyed at the fact that Louisiana is not getting back to the point they were under um, Billy Napier with uh, Michael Desimo, not really what you want to see in my opinion. No, I, I can I can absolutely um, and we've talked about that a bit, right? You know, because it, it, you expect a little bit of a transition period going from Billy Napier. And of course, you know, Michael Desmond, you talk about, you know, a, a Louisiana guy through and through someone who's been a part of that program for a while, but yeah, now it's definitely at the point where it, you, you feel a noticeable downturn in the program since, you know, Billy Napier had them really is one of the top two clubs in the Sun Belt for a nice structure. Yeah. 2024 in my mind is a uh, put up or shut up here for Louisiana. Um, so I don't know if this question I got more philosophical than I meant it to, Eric, but it just it seems like there's a lot of teams who either got their first bowl win or got their first bowl win in a very long time, got their first bowl win under their current coaching administration, that sort of thing. So it, it felt like there was a lot of sentimental value, for lack of a better term, to some of these games. Um, so I asked you when we were doing show prep, what bowl win you thought meant the most to their respective programs. So do you want, do you want to lead off or do you want me to? Why don't you lead off? Okay. For me, uh, it was kind of a toss up between two teams, but I'm going to go with UTSA. 
um, to see them get their first uh, bowl win ever um, and to do it under Jeff Trailer with this group of seniors that he's been fostering the whole time. Obviously, Frank Harris didn't play, but to see Owen McCown step up and uh, do just enough to, to get them across the finish line. Obviously, there were other pieces that that helped that uh, win along, notably that that running back stable. Um, just, you know, had some really good hard-nosed plays in there. And, of course, you know, the, the defense came through uh, against uh, another inexperienced quarterback with Cole Pennington from Marshall. Um, that was incredible to see. And then, of course, we got the infamous ice copy bath um, with um, <laughs> with uh, Jeff Trailer talking about his butt crack on national television, which was certainly something to see. Um, but, yeah, I, I think based on, you know, obviously what we know about where the – veteran players on UTSA have been and uh, where they're going. Obviously, Frank Harris uh, announcing uh, today, Tuesday, that he is uh, medically done with football, not a huge surprise. But to see them go out on top, um, yeah, I I feel like that moment is going to live on in UTSA history for a long time. Yeah, Joe. I mean, listen, I I can't disagree with anything you said there. I don't want to regurgitate too much of my thoughts on Texas State, but – uh, just again, I, and maybe it is because I'm here and I'm biased, but a lot of, I, I guess I'll put you this way. If I were to expound on what I said earlier, for listeners who may not be familiar, I can't assume that everyone's going to know this. I, I, I hope I'm not betraying confidence in, in telling this story. Joe, there was a time, and I've told you this off air, mm-hmm. that that Texas State program, they had to hustle up and get a booster to cut a check pay the power rate bill, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm not going to repeat who, who said that. I'm not betraying confidence in telling that story, but that program was one that in terms of not taking football seriously, they were right there with, you know, several programs who remain unnamed. So to go from that to, you know, I mean, again, I'll share this uh, former Texas State head coach Everett Withers, you know, vented a lot of his frustrations with me about his time there in San Marcos. Right. As far as, you know, the administration and whatnot. So I I think to finally see um, the investment pay off with a win like that, that one I thought was really impressive. Another one that I'll say is is the the coastal win. You know, and you talk a little bit for that program. Losing Jamie Chadwell, losing Grayson McCall to finish off this year with a bowl win. I, I think it, that one kind of just falls along the line of the UTSA win in my mind. You know, a program that's had a lot of success over the past half decade behind a stud quarterback. And, you know, now they're clearly going to be in a, in a period of transition um, for them to close out with a win. That's another one that really uh, uh, impressed me as well. I, I thought it was, you know, provide some sentimental value there. In reference to the Hawaii Bowl, did you see this whole drama with uh, the Tim Beck photo on the beach? I I, I, I did. I did. Are, are you was, asking my thoughts? Or I mean, yeah, yeah. What what were your thoughts on a the the photo itself, and then b if you have any thoughts on like how Twitter reacted to it? My honest thoughts of this, um, I, I'm all for for being sensitive, um, you know, to certain things. I thought it was just a, you know, a photo that you would take, you know, if you're at Hawaii or if you're at the Bahamas Bowl or whatnot. And, you know, like, again, I I get it. Maybe it's, it's, you know, the dance team. But like, 
there was nothing suggestive in, in my mind. No. You know, I mean, I'll, I'm going to, oh boy, you know what? This is reckless to do on the air. So I'm not going to name the coach or the team because I am running off a few hours sleep and I can, I, I don't want to slander the wrong coach or team. There was a photo a few years back, Joe, of a women's basketball yeah. coach, division one women's basketball coach at a, at a, you know, power league. And the media guide was, and I understood what they were going for. They were going for like, we're buckling down and, you know, we're, 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 we're you know, going to be hardworking. But it was him like adjusting his tie surrounded by like the players, right? And I can see how that one would look a little suggestive. This was nothing of the sort in my mind. This was, it's Hawaii. I'm going to throw on some shorts and we're going to do the whole deal and whatnot. So I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a bit much, to be honest. I I did too. I, you know, I, I don't fault them for deleting it out of the abundance of caution. I, I think that made it look worse than it really was. But again, you know, to your point, I didn't really see anything more sinister than, than what they meant it to be, if that makes sense. And I'll also say, if I look that good without a shirt on when I'm 57 years old, <laughs> I'll consider myself very lucky. Good on you, Tim Beck. But uh, regardless, uh, good moment for Coastal Carolina football, getting that win in Honolulu. I, I don't have too much else to say. I mean, we, we saw the South Alabama just beat down Eastern Michigan in, uh, in the 68 Ventures Bowl after the game uh, while South Alabama was uh, singing the alma mater. Uh, Eastern Michigan, uh, one Eastern Michigan player in particular, Corey Hernandez, Eastern Michigan defensive back Corey Hernandez, threw a sucker punch, started a fight. He has since apologized. The university has since apologized. Um, but that led to kind of an ugly moment on the field after the game, after an ugly game for EMU uh, in particular. So, uh, Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, listen, I'm not going to come down on the kid more than what's already happened. It was a yeah. dumb thing to do. But, I, yeah. I, Joe, I cannot underscore this enough. As someone who's around these guys – Joe, these are kids. And listen, I know someone's going to be out there like, they're not kids. They're on scholarship. They're men. Uh, I was. I guarantee you, if you have to, you know, you have a hundred and something players that you're accounted for, all of their maturity levels are going to be different. The way they handle, you know, loss is going to be different. I'm not excusing the action. The action was a punk move. There's no doubt about that. I'm just telling you right now, these kids sometimes do dumb things in the way that I have tried to like really view this uh, view to this prism. Joe is this, if they, you know, if they do things that aren't like irreparable, then we, we can, we can say, Hey, you know, you need to mature face an appropriate punishment and move on. If you do something that's irreparable, then you get to come down with them with all, you know, the fury and hell and wrath and all that stuff. But luckily the kid didn't seriously injure anybody. It just started a, a, a brawl. It was a sucker punch. It was a dumb thing to do, but these are, these are kids. And uh, if you remember correct, Corey Hernandez is a senior, correct? He's a grad student. Actually grad student. There you go. So while sure, he should be on the mature side, the emotions of clearly someone's playing their last football game got the best of them. So that's my only thoughts on that. Well said. Um, the only thing I'll add is if you Google EMU fight, uh, you get videos of 
emus actually fighting each other because Australia is crazy. Um, but and then I, I think that's that's all we kind of need for that to end off this episode, Eric. One big thing you learned from the G five this bowl season, and I'll, I'll start. I understand that getting to the New Year's Six is an achievement in and of itself, and that that's great for whoever gets the bid. In this case, it was Liberty. Um, however, after watching the games and where all of the hypothetical contenders for that New Year's Six spot ended up and how they performed... I don't think any of them would have fared any better than Liberty did against Oregon or any of the New Year's Six teams for that matter. I think that's just where the G5 is right now. I don't think there was um, seriously a team that could have contended more, uh, at least in this case, as the team stood in their current state, if that makes sense. If SMU still had Preston Stone, maybe that might have been another conversation. If Tulane had all of their pieces, eh, if J, you know, I think you can kind of go around hypotheticals all day, but at the end of the day, I don't think there was a serious contender in the G5 to beat um, any of the top six to six to eight teams um, that were in that final college football playoff ranking that the New Year's six teams were picked from, if that makes sense. It's funny you mentioned that because that's very similarly where I was going to go. I just was going to kind of, you know, piggyback off the point I made earlier in terms of, you know, this kind of this being for group of fives. Uh, uh, it's not uh, a it's not indicative of the level of play at G5. It's not some, you know, referendum on group of five football. It, it's, you know, a great year. And obviously we'll see what happens with Liberty. Caden Salter attempted entered the portal today and whatnot. But to me, it's more of a celebration of group of five football and, and the fact that this to me, in my mind, Joe, is what it's about. It's not about necessarily should that team make the playoff, right? I mean, those conversations will happen, but it's a it's about celebrating a great year. And specificity to that game you talk about, hey, Joe, I challenge anyone to go back and look at the 10-year history of the college football playoff. You got blowouts that are P5 on P5, like yep. 30, something like 30, 40% of them. I used to know the number off the top of my head and, and now I don't anymore. So there's that factor. Secondly, yeah, you know, some years you're going to have a, a team that, you know, looks to be one that could challenge a power five team, but that's not at the end of the day, what it's about in my mind. And again, I know that may sound wholly unfulfilling for some. It was about the best team from the group of five that year representative and just mine. It was Liberty going against Oklahoma, going against Oregon. And, and that's what happened. That's fine. But yeah, all in all, I, I just, you know, really enjoyed the celebration of group of five football. And again, maybe I'm, I'm a little more appreciative considering the fact that I, I cover, you know, the power five leagues now. And, and it's just such a different environment, um, especially when you get to the college ball playoff. Right. It's like you almost want to tell some of the kids like as competitors, you want to play for a national title. Right. Of course. You almost want to tell them, like, guys, you had a great year. You know, no one really expected in this case, like Texas to, to do what they did. So hopefully uh, in Liberty's case, they can um, also have that takeaway. We'll have to chop it up sometime in the near future with uh, our good friend, my old high school classmate, but, you know, now our good friend, Emily Austin. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my major takeaway as well, Joe. Yeah. I mean, every season's different. I try not to get too wrapped up in the idea of like, are we positioning ourselves where there's going to be, you know, blowouts in the college football playoff because, Every single year, you're going to get 
teams in different situations than they were the previous year. And it's, it's hard to predict. That's what's fun about college football. You know what I mean? Like injuries suck. I mean, this was a year where I feel like there were a lot of, you know, pretty critical injuries, not just to G5 players, but there were a lot of injuries that uh, affected postseason football all around. So all I'm saying is there's so many different circumstances that kind of factor into whether or not games are, are competitive. You know, I don't think just getting too uptight about that is is somewhere you want to go, but just giving everybody a chance in the way that the college playoff is going to do in 2024. I think it's a good thing. You know, we'll see uh, what it's able to do in these early stages. And that's the other thing too, like the transfer portal, like NIL, we have to give it a couple of years for the learning curve to flatten out, if that makes sense. So I think that's about it for uh, this episode. Uh, Eric, do you want to let people know where they can find you before we sign off and uh, look forward to the rest of 2024? Absolutely, my friend. You can find me on Twitter, X, whatever kids are calling these days, at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find my Texas coverage, Big 12 coverage. Uh, if you're a Hoops fan, you know, that I can actually plug on this podcast. <laughs> uh, if you're a fan of Big 12 Hoops, you can find me, Horns247.com, 247sports.com, cbssports.com. I'm sure he'll be back talking G5 football with us as well in the near future. If you want to follow me, I'm J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. I don't really post that much because social media is not fun for me anymore, but we'll post clips from the episodes and that sort of thing at G5 football daily on Instagram and TikTok and uh, maybe Twitter as well. We'll see what happens in the next couple of months. Happy football watching everybody. So grateful for your support this year. Have a very happy and healthy 2024. Onward and upward.